the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. In the last episode, we ended with the death of Mary, Queen of Scots. Today, we begin with the aftermath of the defeat of the Spanish Armada, followed by the death of Elizabeth's favorite, Robert Dudley. In the midst of the public rejoicings over the defeat of the Armada, an event occurred which, in whatever manner it might be felt by Elizabeth herself, certainly cast no damp on the spirits of the nation at large, the death of Leicester. The death of Leicester forms an important era in the history of the court of Elizabeth, and also in that of her private life and more intimate feelings. The powerful faction of which the favorite had been the head acknowledged a new leader in the Earl of Essex, whom his stepfather had brought forward at court as a counterpoise to the influence of Raleigh, and who now stood second to none in the good graces of Her Majesty. But Essex, however gifted with noble and brilliant qualities, totally deficient in Leicester, was on the other hand confessedly inferior to him in several other endowments, still more essential to the leader of a court party. His character was impetuous. His natural disposition, frank. And experience had not yet taught him to distrust either himself or others. With regard to Elizabeth herself, it had been a thousand times remarked that she was never able to forget the woman in the sovereign, and in spite of that prepondering love of sway which all her life forbade her to admit a partner of her bed and throne, her heart was to the last deeply sensible to the want, or her imagination to the charm, of loving and being beloved." The death, therefore, of the man who had been for thirty years the object of tenderness, which he had long repaid by flattering profession, every homage of gallantry, and every manifestation of entire devotedness, left a void in her existence, which she felt it necessary to supply. It was this situation, doubtless, of her feelings which led to the gradual conversion into a softer sentiment of that natural and innocent tenderness with which she had, hitherto, regarded the brilliant and engaging qualities of her youthful kinsman, the Earl of Essex, a change which terminated so fatally to both. Sometime in the year 1590, the Earl of Essex married, in a private manner, the widow of Sir Philip Sidney, and daughter of Walsingham, a step with which Her Majesty did not scruple to show herself highly offended. The inferiority of the connection in the two articles of birth and fortune to the just pretensions of the Earl and the circumstance that the union had been formed without that previous consultation of her gracious pleasure, which from her high nobility and favorite courtiers, and especially from those who, like Essex and his lady, shared the honor of her relationship, she expected as an homage and almost claimed as a right, were the ostensible grounds of her displeasure." 
but that peculiar compound of ungenerous feelings which rendered her the universal foe of matrimony. Exalted on this occasion by a jealousy too humiliating to be owned, but too powerful to be repressed, formed without doubt the more genuine sources of her deep chagrin. The courtiers quickly penetrated the secret of her heart. For what vice, what weakness, can long lurk unsuspected in a royal bosom? And it is thus that John Stanhope, one of her attendants, ventures to write on the subject to Lord Talbot. That night, God willing, she will to Richmond, and on Saturday next to Somerset House. And if she could overcome her passion against my Lord of Essex for his marriage, no doubt she would be much quieter. Yet doth she use it more temporally than was thought for, and, God be thanked, doth not strike all that she threats. The Earl doth use it with good temper, concealing his marriage, as much as so open a matter it may be, not that he denies it to any, but for her majesty's better satisfaction, is pleased that my lady shall live very retired in her mother's house. On the whole, the indignation of the queen against Essex stopped very short of the rage with which she had been transported against Leicester on a similar occasion. She never even talked of sending him to prison for his marriage. Her good sense came to her assistance somewhat indeed too late for her own dignity, but soon enough to intercept any serious mischief to the earl. And having found leisure to reflect on the folly and disgrace of openly maintaining an ineffectual resentment, she soon after readmitted the offender to the same station of seeming favor as before. There has appeared, however, some ground to suspect that the queen never entirely dismissed her feelings of mortification, or again reposed in Essex the same unbounded confidence with which she had once honored him. From a passage of a letter addressed by Lord Buckhurst to Sir Robert Sidney, then governor of the Brill, we learn that in the autumn of the next year she still retained such displeasure against Sir Robert for having been present at a banquet given by Essex, either on occasion of his marriage or with the view to the furtherance of some design of his with which excited her suspicion that she could not be induced to grant him leave of absence for a visit to England. Sir Christopher Hatton died in the latter end of the year 1591. It appears that he had been languishing for a considerable time under a mortal disease. Yet the vulgar appetite for the wonderful and the tragical occasioned it to be reported that he died of a broken heart, in consequence of Her Majesty's having demanded of him with a rigor which he had not anticipated, the payment of certain monies received by him for tents and first fruits. It was added that struck with the compunction of learning to what extremity her severity had reduced him, Her Majesty had paid him several visits and endeavored by her gracious and soothing speeches to revive his failing spirits. But that the blow was struck and her repentance came too late. It is indeed certain that the Queen manifested great interest in the fate of her Chancellor and paid him during his last illness 
with extraordinary personal attentions. But it ought to be mentioned in refutation of the former part of the story that she remitted to his nephew and heir, who was married to a granddaughter of Burley's, all her claims on the property which he left behind him. During his lifetime, also, Hatton seems to have tasted more largely than most of his competitors of the solid fruits of royal favor. Elizabeth persevered in the practice originating in the reigns of her father and brother of endowing her courtiers out of the spoils of the church. Sometimes, to the public scandal, she would keep a bishopric many years vacant for the sake of appropriating its whole revenues to secular uses and persons, and still more frequently the presentation to a see was given under the condition, express or implied, that certain manors should be detached from its possessions, or beneficial leases of land and tenements granted to particular persons. Thus, the Bishop of Ely was required to make a session to Sir Christopher Hatton of the Garden and Orchard of Ely House, near Holborn, on the refusal of the prelate to surrender property, which he regarded himself as bound in honor and conscience to transmit unimpaired to his successors. Hatton instituted against him a chancery suit, and having at length succeeded in wresting from him the land, made it the site of a splendid house surrounded by gardens, which have been succeeded by the street still bearing his name. He had even sufficient interest with Her Majesty to cause her to address to the bishop the following violent letter, several times, with some variations, reprinted. Proud Prelate, I understand you are backward in complying with your agreement, but I would have you to know that I who made you what you are can unmake you. And if you do not forthwith fulfill your engagement, by God, I will immediately unfrock you. Yours as you demean yourself. Elizabeth. And that's where we'll end episode eight of Memoirs of the Court of Queen Elizabeth by Lucy Aiken. Next week, we'll wrap up this series with the end of Elizabeth's life. I'm Rebecca Larson. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. You can follow and support the Tudor's Dynasty podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Tudor's Dynasty.